Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I guess we could just go home. Y'all want to? (laughs) There is a prelude of what you're going to see this evening, either at 3.30 or 6. That's just a little bit of it. You're going to enjoy the Southcrest Christmas. We really kick off Christmas here at Southcrest this afternoon. I want to finish today what I started a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 2, and then from the rest of the month, we will focus on the Christmas season. So I hope you'll plan to be here this afternoon at 3.30 or at 6, and somebody will be in your seat. So come in (laughs) kindly. Then we have a lot of guests. If you are joining us today for the first time, I know last week I was gone because we were gone to some family gatherings, and a lot of you were. But two weeks prior to that, we started a three-week look at reminding us of what a church is, the basics of church. A lot of you are new believers. A lot of you are new to church, and you think, well, what is a church? You ask somebody what a church is, you will get a lot of different answers. So the basics, we've taken right out of Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. A paramedic was being interviewed on a local TV talk show program. And they asked him, what is your most or what was your most unusual and challenging 911 call? He said, recently we got a call from that big white building, white church building at 11th and Walnuts. A frantic usher was very concerned that during the sermon, an elderly man passed out in the pew and appeared to be dead. The usher could not find a pulse. There was no noticeable breathing. And the interviewer said, well, what was so unusual about that? And he said, well, we carried out four guys before we found the right one. (laughs) Paul Harvey, y'all remember him? I miss him, don't you? The rest of the story. He told the story of a retired couple who purchased a large motor home. And back then, cruise control was a pretty new deal. Now, you've all grown up with it, and you've had it a long time. But they were traveling up the West Coast, and the husband got tired, 
And he told his wife he wanted her to drive, and so he went in the back of the motorhome to lay down to rest, and she was driving, and she put on the cruise control, and it worked perfectly on this long, straight stretch. And she decided to get up and go get a drink. And of course, it crashed. Fortunately, neither one of them were injured, and after the incident, the wife told the highway patrol she thought cruise control would keep the RV on the road. Sadly, there are a lot of people who have put their Christian life or their Christian walk or their walk with God on cruise. They don't really pay attention to worship. They don't pay attention to Bible study. They don't pay attention to prayer, and it's, it's no wonder that sometimes they wind up in the ditch. We have looked, and you were using this acrostic, and I remind you, it's not original with me. The acrostic's not. Basics. First was Bible study. We looked at that. The church in small groups and how everyone needs a small group to hang out with and to fellowship with and to, to learn God's word with. We call it Sunday school or life groups. And then adoration stood for the church in corporate worship, just like we're doing now. All of us need a corporate worship time. Hasn't the music inspired you already? Hasn't it already uplifted your spirit some in the fellowship of being here with one another? The S stood for soul winning. We're here because we want other people to come to know Jesus Christ. And evangelism is what we're about. We exist for the people who are not here yet. And they, that needs Jesus. I was intercession for praying, and we have prayer groups that meet every week, and, and the prayer that we lift up to God, it's, it's part of our church. We're supposed to be a house of prayer, and we do have prayer groups that meet weekly, praying over the prayer requests that you give us, praying for our nation, praying for the sick, praying for our church. And today we pick up the last two letters of this acrostic, the C and the S, the C stands for compassion, love that cares enough to act. We read in verse 42 that they enjoyed what we call fellowship or what the scripture calls fellowship in verse 42. It's the word koinonia, and it means sharing together. It also says in verse 45 and 44 and 45, that they were together and had everything in common and gave to anyone as he had need. Now, what a beautiful picture of a group of people who love one another and, and can be show compassion to one another. You know, love is not just saying, I love you. It's showing it. It's a verb. It's action. It's not just words. Henry James, who was a, an American novelist, was saying goodbye to one of his nephews. His nephew's name was Will, William. And he said something that the boy never forgot. Instead of all the fancy things that a novelist could have uh, said to him, he said, Willie, there are three things that are important in human life. The first is to be kind. The second is to be kind. And the third is to be kind. And he never forgot it. Well, that's what compassion is. And there's two sides to compassion, especially for a church. First, it's helping hurting people within the church. Everybody comes in at some time and has some hurts involved in their life. Compassion, our English word compassion, means to feel with, 
that we hurt with them. A church is, is described as a body of believers, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says that we're all parts of one body. Now, I want to ask you, have you ever hit your thumb, I'll say with a hammer or something, or mashed it really bad? What happens? I'll tell you what happens with me. When I hit my thumb, my arm immediately jerks my thumb back and sticks it right here. <laughs> and my feet get involved. <laughs> Y'all ever done that? I'm not going to tell you what my mouth says. <laughs> I can't say anything because my thumb's in it. It's a perfect picture of a body that shows compassion. When somebody's hurting, other parts of the body rush to it. When somebody's rejoicing, other parts of the body rejoice with it. And that's what a church is supposed to do. It's, that's the body of Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Compassion doesn't mean you just feel the pain of others, but sometimes you see a brother or sister about to cause pain in their life. And you try to get in their way and say, listen, what you're about to do is going to hurt you. And when it hurts you, it's going to hurt me. That's compassion. Looking out for one another. Helping one another. When you read later in the book of Acts in chapter 16, you read about Paul and Silas, and they were preaching, and they were thrown into jail. Roman jailer beat them, then put them in chains. Later that evening, they were singing, and an earthquake happened, and the chains fell off. And they could have flee, they could have uh, been free or, or fled. The jailer was about to kill himself because it was a capital offense. If you lost any of the prisoners, you would be executed. Paul saw him and said, stop. All the prisoners are here. Well, the jailer was so impressed, he wanted to know how to be saved. And he gave his life to Christ. And Paul was about to baptize him. But if you'll read in chapter 16, you'll find he did something before he baptized the jailer. I mean, the jailer did something before he was baptized. He washed the wounds of Paul and Silas. That's what Christians do. Any Sunday that you come here or any time you gather with other believers, whether it's on Sunday or Wednesday or during the week with the Bible studies and all, I can promise you that someone around you is wounded. You may not know it. They may not show it. But somebody's wounded. But if you find out they are wounded, one of the greatest things you can do is spiritually wash their wounds. That's what Christians do. You see, there's no exercise. You know, people are into exercise today, especially trying to keep their heart in good shape. Let me tell you, there's no better exercise for the heart than reaching down and lifting people up. Compassion. Teacher asked in a Sunday school class, what, comp what uh, 
What's the meaning of loving kindness? One little boy jumped up and he said, well, if I was hungry and somebody gave me a piece of bread, that would be kindness. But if they put a little jelly on that bread, that'd be loving kindness. That's a great definition, isn't it? Loving kindness. Helping hurting people within the church. I know when you come in here, it's not always your day. You understand? Some days you just come in dragging. You're hoping somebody will be nice to you. I'm so thankful that we don't all come in like that on the same day. Because some days it's going to be your day to cheer up someone else. Some days it's going to be your day for somebody to help you that same way. The other side of compassion, it's showing kindness to those outside the church. You don't leave your Christianity in here. When you go to the restaurants or wherever you're going to go after church today, you don't leave your kindness in here. You, you take it out into the street. Verse 47 says that they enjoyed the favor of all people. There's a book written called Conspiracy of Kindness, and Enoch, the author, writes that the best, most non-threatening form of evangelism really are performing acts of kindness in the community. Their particular church grew to thousands by going out into the community and doing acts of kindness with nothing, with no strings attached. Well, folks, when we leave, we take the love of God with us. There are 10 rules for getting rid of the blues. Go out and do something for someone else and repeat it nine times. I'm telling you, when you show kindness to other people, it lifts your spirit, and it also is a testimony for Jesus Christ. We carry his name. We're also representatives of this congregation for this local church. Why do you show kindness to strangers? Why did God show kindness to you? Titus 3, verse 3 says, We once lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. We don't demonstrate kindness because they deserve it. We demonstrate kindness because of God's mercy and grace to us. Listen, our world is filled right now with hate. It's so divided. It's so hateful. Who are, who are the people that are going to show the love of God? It's you and me. Doesn't mean we don't disagree with someone. Obviously, there's some, a lot of stuff I just don't like. But it doesn't give me the right to be hateful about it. After all, the love of God lives in our heart, right? And you know the bad thing about showing kindness? Every now and then somebody takes advantage of you. And if you're not careful, you become skeptical. I can't tell you how many times I've helped people, and I knew when I helped them they were lying to me. And after a while, you, you want to go, yo, let me tell you what your problem is. I already know. You're already, you, you're out of gas, and you've you got a job waiting on you in Abilene, and you're just trying to get there. 
I don't mean to sound skeptical, but I'm telling you, it's easy to get that way, isn't it? And yet, that's not what God wants us to do. I could relate to the man who's driving down the highway. He saw a, a lady standing by her car, and there's a flat on the car. So he pulled over and did the gentlemanly thing. He got the stuff out of the trunk. He replaced the tire, put it back in there. And as he was letting the jack down, she said, please do that gently. My husband's asleep in the back seat, and I don't want to bother him. <laughs> now, that sounds like something that happened to me, you know. Get your carcass out of the back seat. Get out there and change that tire. Sometimes they take advantage of you. But that doesn't mean we don't be kind. We perform acts of kindness and compassion because we have received God's kindness and mercy. Some people mean well but their meanness is greater than their wellness. And we don't need to be those kind of people. The last letter is the letter S. It stands for stewardship. Honoring God with your money. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, I don't talk about money around here very much. So if this is your first time to visit with us, you can ask the people you're sitting by. We just don't. I don't talk about it a lot, even though the Scripture talks about it a lot. I may mention that at the time when we used to receive the offering, we don't anymore. We just talk about it and pray over it, but we talk about how God owns everything. Excuse me, but we... I want you to know that they understood what stewardship was in chapter 2. It said they sold their possessions. Now, this is the early church. It's just beginning. They're trying to get it started. And this was not just a one-time experience because when you read over in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. They had all things in common. And in verse 34, nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. Folks, a healthy church is a generous church. I'm so thankful we're part, I've got to be part of a generous church. You're some of the most generous people I've ever known in my life. And I'm thankful to God, but I also know that it comes from loving the Lord because it's a heart thing. And I commend you for the way that you honor the Lord. It's a generous, generous church. This early church wasn't perfect because when you read in chapter 5, you find about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Now, what happened? Well, they sold some land. But they came in and gave part of what they had sold or the, what they had received as they sold that land. But they told everybody it was everything. Now, listen. It would have been just fine if they'd have come in and said, we sold a piece of property, we're giving 20% of it to the church or half of it, whatever. They wouldn't have cared. But they came in and said, we sold a piece of property and we're giving it all to the church. We're giving it all to the Lord's work. Well, I guess the Lord takes our giving very seriously. 
because it would have been dangerous to allow that behavior of deceit to spread among the young, small body of Christ. So what did God do as the great physician? He performed a radical memberectomy. <laughs> Took them out. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, there's a disease which is particularly virulent, virulent contagious. In this part of the century, it's called cirrhosis of the giver. <laughs> it was actually discovered about 34 AD, and it ran a terminal course in a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. It was an acute condition which renders the patient's hand immobile when, attempts, when it attempts to move from the billfold to the offering plate. The remedy Here's a remedy. The remedy is to remove the afflicted person from the house of God since it is clinically observable that this condition disappears in alternate environments such as golf courses or clubs or restaurants. One of the most important disciplines in your Christian walk is stewardship. When you realize when you give your life to Christ, you give him everything. He owns everything. Jesus talked a lot about possessions and money. There are 38 parables in the New Testament. 16 of them talk about money and possessions. Almost half of them. There's 500 verses about prayer in the Bible. There's 500 verses about faith. There's more than 2,000 verses about possessions and money. It must be an issue for God to spend that much time talking about it. So what does the Bible say about money and possessions? First of all, God owns all the wealth in the universe. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Some people think God is some old man sitting on a rocking chair who needs you to throw a little money in his cup every now and then? He's just not going to make it. God owns everything. Sometimes we talk about people, who, what their net worth is. You know, the guy who's got the Tesla, I can't think of his name. He, he's got a net worth of billions and billions. And then Bill Gates is billions and billions and so forth. Have you ever thought about what God's net worth is? He owns it all. The late Bishop Edwin Hughes once talked about money and it made one of his wealthy members mad, which I'm not surprised. Everybody's cool as you mention money. Let me just put it up front. There's been a lot of abuse about that. I mean, you watch some of those people on television and all they're after is your money. I can, rest, I can, I can put your mind at ease. We're not after your money. I just want you to honor the Lord. But Edwin Hughes talked about it, made his parishioner mad, so he invited him to lunch. The parishioner invited the bishop to lunch and showed him his big, nice house and all the land that he owned, and he walked him around his estate, and he looked at the bishop, and he said, you mean to tell me this doesn't belong to me? And the bishop said, why don't you ask me that question in 100 years? You see, we're just passing through and God allows us to have part of 
his wealth. In fact, that's the second thing. God allows us to manage a portion of his wealth. He's entrusted us with different amounts of his wealth. Steward means to manage it. A manager, it's, we manage the resources that God has given us. If you're faithful with a little, you can be faithful with more. But God looks at the heart. You see, the, it reveals the heart. Usually our money reveals our heart somewhere. So it's a heart issue. When you read in Malachi, it's a heart issue. It's not an economic thing. It's a heart issue. Because if you have a little, you still honor God with the little that you have. If you have a lot, you honor God with the lot that you have. The more you have to live for, the less you need to live on because you have the peace of God. The only investments we ever make that last are what we invest in God's kingdom. The third thing is God wants his wealth in circulation to support his work. I'm not talking about saving for retirement. Obviously, you do that. But God doesn't want you to hoard everything. I'm so thankful that because of your generosity, we're able to pass it on. I, I don't want to tell you, I keep telling pastors this. You keep, and this is, this is Texas terms, you keep shoveling it out, and God keeps shoveling it in, and he's got a bigger shovel. Our church helps other congregations. We have church plants. We support missions. We're all about people coming to Christ. And, and so we give out and give out and God just keeps giving it back. He wants it circulating. So we're not going to hoard money here at Southcrest because God's kingdom is where it goes. The attitude of a lot of people though is to get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can and poison the rest. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? Luke 19, he talks about the parable of the stewards. And he, he gives each one of them a certain amount. And the ones that had some, the, the talents, they, they used it. But one of them hoarded it. And that's the one that God, that the Lord said, that's not right. You don't put your trust in your savings account or in your 401ks or your portfolio, your real estate. A lot of people try to get, give, give gimmicks. You know, I, I, I don't believe in gimmicks about giving. I just believe it's, you just tell people, just honor God with what he's given. But I did read about a pastor who decided he was going to try to increase the giving of his church. So he had some special boxes made for the weekly collection of the tithes and offerings. And he claimed it was designed to encourage people to be better stewards of the money. He said, this new box has some interesting features. When you drop in a check or paper money in large amounts, the box doesn't make a sound at all. But if you put in a quarter, it rings a bell. A dime makes a whistle blow. A penny fires a shot. And if you don't give anything, it takes your picture. <laughs> you don't have to worry. We're not going to do anything like that. Because it's a heart issue. It's not about us trying to find a gimmick. And I get kind of tired of people I see sometimes saying, well, you know, if you'll just give to this ministry, God's going to give you tenfold back. God may not give you money back, but he'll bless you in other ways. I, 
I'm not going to tell you, well, you show a seed here today of $1,000. God's going to give you $10,000 this week. I got a Greek word for that. That's baloney. <laughs> that is baloney. That's not how you give to God. You don't play let's make a deal. He's already given you the deal. He's given you everything you have. Lord, I'm going to honor you. You know, when you, when you give, it'd be like you coming to my house and you taking something off of one of the shelves of my house and wrapping it up and said, Merry Christmas, David, I want to give you this. And I'll open it and go, well, I used to have one of those. Thank you for giving me that. No, that's how, you don't give anything to God. He owns it. Lord, I want to honor you with what you've given me. And don't tell me you can't afford it. You can't afford not to. The fourth truth, it gives God, God gives a greater blessing when we give for his work. I've already covered some of that. Malachi even said, the prophet, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that may be food in my house and test me in this, God said. Test me in it and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you can't, you won't have room enough for it. The word tithe means 10%. The Jews were required by the law to do that. And you say, well, we're in the New Testament. We're under grace. You're exactly right. But Jesus also said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. The tithe is a starting point for stewardship. I, I'm so thankful for those of you who, who've not only supported the ministries and the, of God's work, but you've given above to pro help provide these buildings. Did you know not one tithe dollar has been used to pay for this building? It's all gone to the ministries, but... People give above their normal gifts to help pay for these buildings. And, and we're paying it off in rapid pace. And thank you for doing that. Thank you for honoring the Lord. Y'all remember J.L. Kraft? Y'all have eaten some of his food. Kraft mac and cheese, cheese. He gave 25% of his money to the Lord's work when he was alive. And he said, the only investments I ever made which have paid constantly increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. And then he went on to say, he said, pastors will do their greatest service in leading their men to understand the truth of God concerning the stewardship of time and money. John D. Rockefeller explained a great principle when he said, I never would have been able to tithe on the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed on my first salary, which was $1.50 a week. It's about the heart, which leads me to the last truth, and that is this, then you can breathe again. God approves our stewardship when we give to him first. A lot of folks say, well, I can't do it. After I pay all my bills, there's nothing left. God doesn't want you leftovers. He says, honor me first, because then you have to trust him. He said, see if I don't come through. Folks, I'm, I am living, I am a living testimony of the way that God comes through. I, can, I could bore you to tears with all of the stuff that's happened in my wife's and my life and the way God has provided because we've always honored him first with our gifts. I'm telling you, it works. He makes your car run longer. He makes your washing machine not break down. 
It's incredible how he does it. Can I get a witness here? Does anybody agree with me on that? I figured there were some in here because this is such a generous church. I, I knew there'd be at least two amens in here. Y'all learn this verse when you're in Bible school, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do you agree with that verse? But about two verses down, three verses down in verse 9. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You see, when you trust in the Lord with all your heart, that means everything. It means everything. But you know, all this will do will make you mad if you don't know Jesus. Church doesn't mean anything to people who don't know Jesus. So the first thing I want you to understand, I don't want you to join a church. We want you to join Jesus. He's the one that saves you. He's the one that changes your life. How do you do that? Well, first you have to admit you need him. I'm separated. My sin has separated me from God for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through South Crest Baptist Church. No, through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not through the church. It's through Jesus. So you ask God to forgive you. And the amazing thing is, God says, I thought you'd never ask. I want to forgive you. I will forgive you. You know why he will? Because he sent his only son, Jesus. We celebrate the coming of Christ at Christmas time. We celebrate it then. Jesus, born of a virgin, sinless, lived a sinless life, went to the cross willingly. The wages of sin is death. Somebody had to die for our sin. Somebody who had never sinned died for our sin. God put on him the iniquity of us all, the sin of us all, and Jesus died for our sin. God raised him from the dead. Jesus said, I've got the stinger out of death. I have the keys to the kingdom. I have the gates of hell. And he also said, I'll save you. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when you ask God to forgive you, he will. You place your faith and trust in Jesus. You ask him to come into your life and commit your life to him. And the spirit of God indwells you, begins to change you from the inside out. First, he gives you peace and forgiveness. He gives you a new life. And he begins to grow you in the Lord. And and he begins to change people. And you folks that have come in here today, you've entered into a place that is crawling with sinful people. All of us. We've just been forgiven. And we've been saved. And if you haven't been saved, you haven't been forgiven. What's keeping you from coming to a God who will forgive you of anything you've ever done? 
You can come to him right now. Church won't mean anything to you until you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then you begin to understand, oh, yeah, you know what? I like being with all those people. And, Lord, I do want to honor you. And, and Lord, I, I want to know more about the Bible, and I want to grow, and I want to find the purpose for my life. And, but the first thing you do is you come to Christ. You can do it now. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I pray for those that need Christ as their Savior. Only you know the hearts of, of all these men and women. And I ask you, Lord, to show them how much you love them, how you'll forgive them, how you give them eternal life in Jesus Christ. I pray that your Spirit will convict them of sin and convince them of your love and forgiveness and draw them to you. Lord, I, I thank you for the believers in this room who, who, who get it. They've given their life to you. They honor you. And Lord, I, I pray for those that walked in this building today wounded. Their hearts are heavy or broken. They have a lot of concern on their life. So I lift up the wounded today and ask that you would begin to wash their wounds and help them. I know, Lord, that some will be looking for a, a church home. God, if you bring them here, we're going to love them. I pray for those that need to be baptized. Oh, they've committed their life to you but made excuses about being baptized. God, I pray you'll help them to see the value, the importance, the obedience of being baptized, professing you publicly before others, unashamedly. Lord, I, I thank you for your, your love, and I, and I know this invitation is from you. You are the one that is speaking to hearts right now. So I pray that they'll come to you. In Jesus' name. Would you quietly stand to your feet and would you just keep your heads bowed so people won't feel like they're being stared at? There are pastors here at the front to pray with you. You may have a commitment on your heart. You may want to know my, knowing Jesus or being a part of the church, but maybe you just need somebody to pray with you to wash your wounds, just to pray with you. Would you come while the heads are bowed? People respond, that, that tug at your heart. It's the Holy Spirit. Is there anyone today? These guys, we won't embarrass you. We won't make you stand up here in front of anybody. People aren't looking. You come. No turning back. No turning back. Oh, none go with me. I still will follow. Oh, none go with me. I still will follow. Oh, none go with me. I still will follow. 
You know, thank you for being patient. We don't close an invitation because it's not ours to close. It's God's. So he's still speaking to your heart. After we're dismissed, a couple of these pastors are going to be sticking around up here at the front for a moment. They'll be glad to pray with you or to talk with you or to help you. Just come on up here. You can also use that communication card that's in the seat pocket. and You can let us know your commitment today, or you can put your prayer request, or you can text Living Hope to the number you see that's on the screen. We want to help you. We don't close an invitation. It's always open. This afternoon, from 3.30, at 3.30 and at 6, South Coast Christmas. We will have a lot of guests. Let your kindness be shown over your meanness. I know you mean well, but your meanness does not overcome your wellness. I'm teasing you. I, you know what? I'm gonna t I didn't tell you this. Last Sunday, I visited another church. I don't get to do that very often. I was out of town in another state. I let my parents out at the door so they could get in easily. I went and parked. I came back in. There wasn't a soul standing at any of the doors. When I walked in, there wasn't a soul anywhere, anywhere in that four-year area. Except when I walked down. So if I'd been a guest, now you got to understand, I was born in the Baptist church. I can go in any Baptist church anywhere in this country and find my way around. But I was thinking if I was a guest, I'd never been in church before. My first time, I'm already nervous coming in. Then what would I, what would I feel? Well, I walked in the auditorium. I walked as close from here to that donkey. People didn't speak to me. And I know I'm not that ugly. <laughs> but here's what I remember. Here's what I came away with. I'm so thankful for the greeters at the doors. Amen. I am. You give the first impression. You make, you make people feel at ease when they come in. I, I thank people that work at the welcome centers and stand at these doors and hand out bulletins and help on the parking lot. Let me tell you, don't ever, ever discount how important you really are to what's going on here. And then even after the last service at 8 o'clock in the hospitality room, some new folks just moved to Lubbock, came in to see me, to talk to meet me, and they said, we really have already been made to feel welcome here. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Listen, that's what we do. That's what we're about, hospitality and compassion. If you are our guest, I would like to meet you. I'll be in the hospitality room out, out the door and to the right, the room with the, all the glass wall there. I've got something I'll give you. But today, from 3.30, not from, at 3.30 and at 6, Southcrest Christmas, it's going to be awesome. If you like Hallelujah Chorus, bring an extra pair of socks. They're going to bless the other ones off. You'll need them. We are going to have a church-wide business meeting on the 15th of November, which is a week from Wednesday, just so you'll know. It's just a quarterly thing that we do. The other announcements are in their bulletin. If you're not in a Sunday school class, first Sunday of December would be a great time to start. Find one of them. We'll help you find the right place if you just ask. We'll get you to them. That's where you're going to get to know some people. It's going to be great. And this is how we're going to kick off this afternoon, Christmas. Thank you all for being here this morning. Thank you for listening to today's message. 
If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.